Welcome to another episode of the Cigar Social Podcast. This is episode 15. My name is Matt. Thanks for joining. Our guest today is Remote. He has co-founded the Chattanooga Whiskey in 2011. He had to actually change distilling laws in Tennessee to make that happen. Uh, he has also established the Chattanooga Whiskey Experimental Distillery, which is, by the way, the first legal distillery in Chattanooga in 100 years. Uh, very impressive. Can't wait to hear more about it. Ladies and gentlemen, the co-founder and CEO of Chattanooga Whiskey, Tim Pearson. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it, man. No, not uh, a problem. Thanks intro. for taking the time. Yeah. You hit, you hit the high notes. I'm sure we're going to get into a whole bunch of other things and, and just start peeling away at that onion. But I know that's, th those were the two like major accolades that I found was like, you have to get into the house bill 102 and, and the whiskey bill and yeah. vote whiskey. But, uh, I, you know, it's, that was just impressive. Um, usually we start with, uh, getting into today's bottle and stick. We're going to start with the stogie first today. I'm smoking the Avo synchro Nicaragua Fogata. Uh, first time I'm ever having this, this is, uh, has a beautiful Ecuadorian Habano 2000 wrapper, uh, a, th a thick San Andreas binder, complex blend and aged fillers from the DR and from Nicaragua. The, the, the vibrant combination, uh, what I gather online, it's mostly Viso and Lajero tobaccos, uh, combined to make a rich full bodied smoke. Um, can't wait to get more into it off the jump. It's great. I'm getting like a coffee leather. Uh, I hate the term earthy because I feel like earthy is such a vague term, but that's how they described it. Um, definitely like a deep spice, almost like a hint of cream. Um, can't wait to see how it pairs with today's bottle. I brought two. Uh, I, 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 we got the 91 and we got the 111. Both very unique in their own ways. Uh, and, and I want to hear more about it. So, uh, Tim... We'll start with you. What are you sipping over there, and where exactly is over there? So I am currently in downtown Chattanooga, where I live. I am sipping on 111, so you've got some uh, good company over there, and uh, which I think is a great representation of Chattanooga whiskey and uh, a great representation of, um, of our malt-forward style of bourbon, being that it's an unfiltered cast forward bourbon. So lots of char in there and, um, you know, and it's the same recipe as 91. So the, the big brother to 91. But and, this is just uh, the, the, the cask, cask strength 91 per se. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Same recipe, same, same, uh, unique. Uh, it is. I, I, I know you guys use kind of like a combination of barrels. So it's the same method. Yes. Yeah, we do. We use the combination of four chars and three chars with a toast. And it is our own custom toast profile that we worked with independent stave on. And so 91 and 111 have a lot in common. But when you take one of when you take the 91 and you, you know, you finish it in the Solera barrel process, uh, which is a 4000 gallon white oak Solera barrel with a char on the inside of it. Nice. So you're co-mingling 100 barrels approximately 54 chars and 53 chars with a toast, and then you're proofing it to 91 proof versus that same recipe in a 50-50, again, the same 50-50 blend of four chars and three chars with a toast, but you're not putting it in the Solera barrel. 
and instead it's unfiltered at 111 proof. They have wildly different flavor profiles. So, wow. But yeah, so that's all uh, made, you know, right down the street from where I'm at. And uh, we have two distilleries in downtown Chattanooga. We have a, you know, few thousand square foot uh, experience that is one of the top tourist attractions in all of Chattanooga. And that is the experimental distillery. That is the first distillery in Chattanooga in 100 years. Uh, that is because of the Vote Whiskey campaign that we uh, created and spearheaded that, that law change, uh, House Bill 102, as you mentioned, that uh, was successfully passed in uh, May of 2013. And then uh, when we were able to bring distilling back for the first time in 100 years to the experimental distillery, or at the, you know, officially with the experimental distillery, we decided to explore the world of specialty malted grains in bourbon. Uh, we do single malts and malt whiskeys and rye malts as well. Uh, but primarily, Chattanooga Whiskey focuses within what we coined and trademarked as Tennessee High Malt. Uh, the majority of what we produce uh, is technically a bourbon, and uh, but it is everything we do is greater than 25% in malted grains, which started at the Experimental Distillery. And to this day, even at the Experimental Distillery, we've put away, over the last seven years of experimental distilling, we've put away over 400 experimental barrels and we've utilized hundreds of different specialty malts uh we 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 proudly claim that that is the only standalone experimental bourbon distillery in the united states because of how many grains and how many recipes and how much we have ex have, have explored uh beyond just aging at the experimental distillery but then in 2017 we built the riverfront distillery which is a, a 50,000 square foot distillery off the tennessee river about a mile away from the experimental and there is where we scale up our you know the more than a couple dozen recipes from experimental including the barrel 91 recipe which was the 91st barrel distilled at the experimental distillery we scaled that up to riverfront and that recipe became our flagship, which is why we call it Chattanooga Whiskey 91 today. And then, which is also 91 proof. Correct. Yep. Worked out, actually. Yeah. Really happenstance. And so super cool story there. We actually put the barrel 91, the, the 91st barrel distilled, uh, the one we chose. We ended up dumping that barrel into the Solera barrel at Riverfront. So it would live for forever in that Solera barrel. Oh, wow. But, really cool part of the story as well and then we wanted to make a cast forward unfiltered version which is 111 but then we've got 99 rye we've got our barrel finishing series we've got bottled and bond we've got our single barrels um we have our founders series our which is our anniversary series we have a number of other things that are really unique blends of a variety of different recipes that we scaled up from riverfront uh, excuse me, from Experimental to Riverfront uh, in an effort to service our 14 states of distribution. Wow. Yeah, and Illinois, where I am, is one of those states. Uh, yep. Thank goodness. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you 
Yeah. So what I understood, yeah, the the so the, the ninety one was released in twenty nineteen. Yeah. So that was what I like to call the ripping of the band aid, uh, <laughs> because because we were, um, we were essentially on the teat of MGP for you know twenty twelve. We we have found it in twenty eleven, but we didn't hit the shelves with an MGP product until April of 2012. But from April of 2012 all the way up until August of 2019, our flagships were MGP. And that was your 1816, right? That was 1816 Reserve and 1816 Cask. Yeah. And we, uh, you know, for a while we talked about what would it look like to do a transition, but we just said, nah, screw it. We're going to rip this thing off. Meaning not rip off MGP, but create our own product and, rip the Band-Aid off and just say, we're going straight from a high-ride traditional MGP recipe to Chattanooga Whiskey 91-111, which is Tennessee High Malt, which is pretty wildly different, except they are both still utilizing yellow corn uh, as their foundation. And, um, and instead of a raw rye, it's a malted rye. So it's gone through the kilning process, so it's very roasted and toasted. Yeah. And then instead of a small amount of pale malt barley, we're using two specialty malt barleys, uh, honey malt barley and caramel malt barley. So uh, we're after a deeper, darker, richer, more complex bourbon whiskey, and I think that's exactly what we got. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know the 91's aged for, for two years. So that's that's yeah, a nice, so, uh, that, to me, like, that's a nice aging, right? Like, anything before that is almost like a baby. Anything after that's like, you, you start to really capture some of the barrel notes. Yeah, well, to be a straight bourbon whiskey, it, to, in order to put straight in front of bourbon whiskey, it has to be older than two years. So we wanted to check that box, but, and this is actually a, this is where I, we could have a really, really long conversation uh, because aging has been, I mean, it, it is by and large the most popular topic when it comes to bourbon whiskey. Um, and age is important. I'm not going to take anything away from that. But it is one of very, very many aspects and elements within producing bourbon whiskey that drive flavor and drive complexity, uh, and drive approachability. I mean, you've got your recipe, which is huge, your grains, uh, where you get them, uh, how they've been processed, and then you've got fermentation, which is huge, what type of yeast you use, which is huge. You've got, you know, the types of stills that you use, the proof that you distill it at, the proof that you barrel it at, the types of barrels that you use, the toasts and chars, the finishings of the barrels, where the barrels go away to age, what happens <laughs> after the barrels? Do you finish it? Are you finishing it in a in a you know in a tawny port barrel or a scotch cask barrel or are you finishing it in a Solera barrel? What's the Solera barrel made of? Is it white oak? Is it French oak? I mean every single one of these I mean, how do you bottle it? Is it non-chill filtered? Is it chill filtered? Is it unfiltered? I'm just telling you that most of this stuff flies under the radar to the average bourbon consumer. 
And it is really, really important. So when it comes to, well, how long has it been in the barrel? I mean, it matters, but I would say all of it matters equally. And yeah. so with Tennessee high malt, because so much goes into the Tennessee high malt process, we don't have to age. I mean, we have products that are aged on the, on the, on the early side, two and a half years. On the high side, six years, pushing six years. But stylistically, we have a lot of different products within bourbon, within American whiskey. You know, our bottle and bond is four different recipes blended together. Really complex. It's four plus years old. Frankly, it doesn't have to be, but stylistically, it makes sense. We have barrel finishings that are younger, that are older. It just depends. So, yeah, yep. so 91 to 111 are between two and three years. Uh, right now, they're actually closer to three than two, which is great. And um, and then, you know, our rye is between three and four. Our bottle and bond is between four and five. Our, our uh, And then, you know, so on and so forth. Single barrels are between four and five. So that's kind of where we stand on age. Wow. Was that a rant? I mean, no. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so let's uh, switch gears for a minute. We'll 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 take some baby steps, and then we'll dive into some of the the cool backstory that I found fascinating. Was uh, so we'll start here. Let's start with what inspired you to pursue the whiskey industry. Like, what brought you to this realization of like, man, I got to make bourbon. I got to make whiskey. Well, I never had the realization that I have to make whiskey. Uh, my co-founder and I discovered the history of whiskey in Chattanooga pre-prohibition. And it was really that history that was just so cool and inspiring. And for me, it was a matter of, I mean, I was born and raised in Chattanooga and the opportunity to bring a really cool piece of craft history back to Chattanooga for the first time in a century. All we had to do was change hundred year old laws, which was easy. It's pretty hard. Yeah, I know. We thought it was going to be easy. Um, and that was in, that was inspirational in and of itself, the opportunity to be a part of such a cool movement and tell us such a cool story and just do something really cool. So, like, you started, uh, you started the company. Yeah. I want to try to get my timeline right here because I think, like, what I've understood is for every step of the way, the cart was kind of always before the horse a little bit. Where you had the company, but there was laws saying you couldn't do it. Yeah. And then when you finally got the laws to change, you didn't really know how to, you had to go and find a, a distiller. And so there was always like that, well, we're here. Well, now you've, what? Yeah, you, you've, you've done your research. You've, you, have, you, have un, <laughs> you have uncovered that I never knew what I was doing. <laughs> yes, no, that's true. That's, that's very true. Um, just a constant snowball effect and yeah. kind of putting this company together and this product together in front of everybody. Yeah. Saying, well, this is what we're going to do next. And this is what we're going to do next. And coming up with a label and saying, Hey everybody, this is our label. What do you think? I mean, I'm not, it's kind of funny. I, I feel like Chattanooga whiskey was totally crowdsourced uh, to, to a degree. We ended up having to raise capital internally. We never crowdsourced, capital outside of a small Kickstarter 
that was not very successful um, in, the, in the beginning. But, uh, but a lot of, we, you know, we put a lot of, we put everything that we were doing on display and, um, and we were just vibing off of the community, really enjoying the process. And that drove us uh, to, to continue to push, to change laws, to continue to push, to yeah. raise the capital, to bring barrels of bourbon in. I mean, and then all of a sudden MGP was like, oh, or it was, it was LDI. Lawrenceburg Distillers was like, hey, we're selling or we're being acquired by MGP and, and we're going to sell all of your inventory to somebody else. And so we ended up having to raise capital overnight to, to secure 1200 barrels uh, wow. when we didn't have any money. Um, so it was always, uh, we're just kind of writing our story in front of the public. Yeah. And so we're, we're going to dial the, 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 the timeline back a little bit, 2011, you and, and your, your co-founder Joe Ledbetter began researching the Chattanooga laws, like you said, uh, formulating yeah. a plan to, to bring whiskey back to, to Hamilton County, which is where Chattanooga was from, uh, Chattanooga is. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about uh, House Bill 102, a.k.a. the Whiskey Bill, and how its passing obviously opened up the opportunity and the doors for distilling in Chattanooga? And not only Chattanooga, <laughs> but from what I understood, that also opened up the doors for other counties that weren't included in the previous yeah. bill that was passed. Yep. So House Bill 102 stated that if there were, uh, if, if there were liquor stores and there were bars, just basically dumbing this way down, if there were liquor stores and there were bars in the municipality, you could also get a license to distill. And that was very different from the 2009 bill. There was, so there was one other craft bill, and that was in 2009. And in 2009, it allowed for uh, representatives to opt their municipalities in to a craft bill that would allow for distilling. And so the majority of those uh, representatives did not opt into that bill and left counties like Hamilton County out to dry. Yeah. And so when we came back around uh, a few years later, <clears throat> it was actually significantly more challenging because a handful of those representatives and one in particular that was local to us, they were hell bent on that never happening in Chattanooga. And so we, instead of allowing for representatives to opt in, we just said, we just wrote the bill to say, no, this is how it is. If, if you have liquor by the drink and you have pack and you have, uh, you know, um, package retail sales, then uh, then you can also get a license to distill. <clears throat> and so it was a dogfight because there was no opting in and opting out necessarily. Now, there was a vote, um, but if there was a majority, it was going to pass. And, and so it, it passed in May of 2013, but we had to do a lot of work locally in order to even discover how the laws read. And then uh, we tried to change it locally at the county level, and then that didn't work. We did have a we, – we had a vote uh, at the county level, but 
the um, the state attorney general uh, essentially overruled that, and and then it went to the state and and it passed finally. But we were you know we started the company in October of 2011, and the bills didn't pass until May of 2013. So that was pretty close to two years of effort. And then once that passed, there's 95 counties in Tennessee. Uh, now every county in Tennessee um, that has liquor by the drink and package retail sales uh, can also. I mean, almost every single. Not only can they distill, almost every single one of them has a distillery. So, I mean, we have. We shortly thereafter were founding members of the Tennessee uh, Distillers Guild and Tennessee Whiskey Trail, which now has more than. I think it has more than 50 members. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been to Tennessee a bunch. I haven't, I, I've gone to a couple of distilleries in Kentucky. And with the amount of time I spent in Tennessee, you would think I would go and visit a couple of Tennessee whiskey distilleries, but haven't yet. I think Chattanooga might be my first one, though. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the bottle that introduced me to Chattanooga uh, was the 1816 cask. Um, that was the hook, line, and sinker for me. After that, I immediately sought after any, you know, uh, different expressions from Chattanooga. But I, I, I tried that a couple years ago. So all of the the history, like you're already up and running with the ninety one and one eleven. Um, yeah. But that bottle, the eighteen sixteen, brings you back to your beginning about ten years ago. Uh, that was your first whiskey, uh, and originally, like you mentioned, it was LDI, which is now uh, MPG or MGP. Yeah. yeah. Um, so why the name 1816? That was when, uh, that was the first community in Chattanooga ever. Yeah. So uh, John Ross, Ross's Landing established the first community. It was before Chattanooga was officially Chattanooga. It wasn't established until 1838, I believe. And uh, there was there was Chattanooga whiskey before it was real Chattanooga whiskey. So. Wow. We, didn't, we didn't come out with, we didn't start distilling until 2015. Is 1816 still done, uh, made at MGP, or are you now doing that in-house, that recipe? That's a great question. Now, we, we, when we ripped the Band-Aid in 2019 and launched Chattery Whiskey 91 and 111, we put an end to selling 1816. Oh. Um, but we re 1816 into founders so if you get a bottle of our anniversary series which is basically like our birthday bourbon uh there is, we have a solera uh we actually have three barrels um one is our 91 solera barrel uh one is our infinity barrel so our 91 solera barrel is four thousand gallons sitting right next to it is our infinity barrel, which is 1,700 gallons. And sitting right next to it is our 1816 barrel, which is 625 gallons. So the 1816 barrel that is 625 gallons holds approximately 15 barrels of 1816 from Indiana. And one time a year, we will blend all three of those barrels together, the past, Ooh. the present, and the future, uh, to create our Founders series. So that's the only place that it lives. And it's made in Indiana still. Got it. 
in uh, 2014, you hired uh, head brewer or head distiller. Uh, he was a head brewer. Like, yeah. former, former brewer, Grant McCracken. Um, what I gather, yeah. he came from like a five-year run down uh, over at like the Boston Beer Company. Um, mm-hmm. I want to know, how, how did you find him? And furthermore, how did you convince him to transplant from a 30-year-old company at the time to a two-year-old whiskey distillery that theoretically was like just starting up i mean it was i mean the laws hasn't haven't really changed at that time so he was you know how, how did that all unravel those are really good questions so um we found him through new riff uh if you're familiar with new riff which you probably <laughs> are so new riffs head distiller brian sprantz worked with grant at Boston Beer. And New Riff's distillery consultant, as they were uh, being established, was Larry Ebersold, who was the master distiller at LDI. So I got to know Larry through LDI. Larry introduced me to Brian Sprantz. Brian Sprantz introduced me to Grant, who was still at uh, Boston Beer. And Grant came down to Chattanooga, and I think he fell in love with the story and, and, and saw, even though it was a few years old, he was, he, we were st- fresh out of a law change. We had great support from our investors. And uh, I think it, I mean, he was, he was moving out of the ice cold Boston area, of, uh, you know, <laughs> four feet of snow the, 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 the last winter he was there. Yeah. And, uh, and he saw an opportunity to carve a path in this industry, much like some of uh, some, much much like some very influential people have carved paths in the brewing industry. Yeah, which is exactly I think what we've done with Tennessee High Malt. Yeah, and, and you know if this is a product of of Grant per se, mm-hmm. I mean. Well, well done on that business decision because uh, <laughs> phenomenal stuff. Um, I'm going to finish up the 91 and I'll go with the 111 next. Um, you know, you have to, right? Uh, yeah, I, I, like, I like going from 91 to 111. A little, little step up. I went straight, uh, from, I went straight from 111 t- tonight, but, but I, normally, I normally like to make the step. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have two locations. You mentioned one is uh, the Riverfront Distillery, uh, Martin Luther Boulevard. Yeah, Martin Luther King uh, Boulevard um, or uh, Riverfront. It's actually at the corner of both. Okay. So, um, yep. So it's it's in downtown, but it's in a uh, it is just in a different part of downtown than Experimental. Experimental is in the historic Southside District. On Market Street, right? Yep, on Market Street, across from the Chattanooga Choo Choo, and then mm. uh, River the Riverfront Distillery is in what used to be called Blue Goose Hollow, and uh, also a historical part of Chattanooga. And all of Chattanooga has just been going through a, a really cool revitalization for for decades now. Um, much of which my wife and I have seen because we've lived here. We've lived in our house downtown since 2005. 
And, uh, and it's really awesome to have two locations in downtown Chattanooga, only about a mile apart from each other. Do you do tours at both or no, do you just do tours do. at the experimental and that's it? Yep. We only do tours at experimental, which it's, uh, like I said, it's a phenomenal tourist attraction on TripAdvisor. They actually have us as number one out of 150 things to do here. Nice. So that's really cool. Um, uh, but eventually we'll activate Riverfront so that the public can see it because it's, it's an impressive operation. That's your, your, really that's just, your mass production, right? Uh, it still, is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is. It's only, you know, which we can produce 3000 plus barrels a year there, which we only, but we only do Chattanooga whiskey. We don't do anything else. So no, no contract distilling, um, no outsourcing. It's all right there. Your the the aging. Uh, do you have your own rickhouses, or do you barrel it up and bring it to a local farm where there's rickhouses, and you age it there, or do you age it at the warehouse? Yeah, we age it all. We do everything right there. Grain awesome. glass. Grain and glass. Yeah, we've we've uh, we're gonna have to expand our our barrel aging, but we have uh, several thousand barrels on site. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I know. When I was in Kentucky, there was just I went to the Willet, and there's just rickhouse after rickhouse, and yeah, we don't have that. But we, we that, yeah. but the, we don't really exactly have that real estate. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> H. Taylor, if we were on a farm, that'd be a little different, I guess. Yeah, that would be. Uh, H. Taylor once said that water is the key to great whiskey, which is why at his old castle, the water well is actually created and shaped like a key. At your distilleries, where do you get your water from? And is it, is it shipped in or locally sourced and filtered in-house? How does that all work? Well, first I would say that good quality water is definitely important to making good quality whiskey. But it is 2023 almost. And we, uh, we all have access – well, we fortunately uh, – to – the majority of these operations, we have access to good quality water. Uh, and, and we are no exception to that. We've got the Tennessee river downtown, which, uh, we have amazing water city processed water that goes into Chattanooga. And then we also have processing at the riverfront distillery that further processes the water yep. to make sure that it is the highest of quality uh, going into the product. Um, so, so I mean, obviously when E.H. Taylor built his castle, you know, yeah, like yeah, you said, very different. Water yeah. was a little different back then. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So if you sat on an aquifer, uh, you, or, you know, you had a, anything that was spring fed limestone spring fed, uh, it was a really, really big deal back then. Um, now, not so much, but that, but that is also, I think, why it's a big part of why Tennessee and Kentucky were so far ahead of the rest of the country. So, yeah, uh, October twenty. I'm going to bring you back a little bit. October 2017, you did a, a very interesting collaboration with your 1816 line and local breweries. Can you talk a little bit about what kind of spun that idea and who all were involved? <clears throat> Man, that, these. This is stuff I haven't talked about in years. Like, I, I this is great. I, th it's called the 1860. Well, most people don't even care about it, frankly, because we've done so many innovations 
that a lot of our innovations fly under the radar. And I think 1816 Native is one of those innovations that flies under the radar. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we, want, we had a desire, still have a desire, for the distilling industry to be as collaborative as the brewing industry. And um, so we created this concept called 1816 Native back when we were still sourcing from MGP. And we would take our barrels after they fully matured our bourbon. We would send them off to select breweries, both local and regional, uh, meaning we had some from Nashville, some from Atlanta. And they would age specific styles of beer for, say, three to six months. Then they would dump that beer and they would, of course, you know, uh, package it up and sell it as a bourbon barreled beer. We would get the bourbon barrel beard, bourbon barreled (laughs) beer barrels. Say that a couple times. Yeah, bourbon barreled beer barrels. We would get those barrels that were originally (laughs) our barrels. We would get them back and then we would finish our bourbon in those barrels and it would take on all of the beer flavor. So we would take on a variety of oatmeal stouts, um, et cetera. And uh, we would have a party and we would release uh, eight, a variety of eight different 1816 native releases that, that um, showcased eight different breweries and it was badass. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like the, just the idea alone here, like I'm going to, I'm going to make a, a, a bourbon that barrel's empty. I'm going to give you the barrel. You make a beer barrel's empty, bring it back. Like it, it like that whole concept. I mean, that yeah. very uh, innovative. I, I, I haven't heard anything like that before. Yeah. So here's the problem. It was awesome and it tasted awesome and it was a lot of fun and the events were fun, but outside of the events and outside of drinking it, consumers in the bourbon industry, they don't get beer barreled bourbon. I feel like everybody that drinks beer, not everybody, but most people that drink beer, especially if you enjoy beer and, 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 and explore it, you get bourbon barreled beer. That's been a thing for a while. Yep. You, you, you get that. But the other way around, uh, so we came out at like a $50 price point and it, and it all sold out and it was all fine and dandy. But the consumer, the, the average consumer just didn't, wasn't really passionate about it, didn't really understand it. And so we did it two years in a row. We've taken a break. Uh, we might bring it back, but. Right now, we've got a lot of other innovations we're working on. So, yeah, and, and uh, that's the later question. I'd, I'd love to know what's in the works. But right now, uh, let's get into some of the offerings of Chattanooga whiskey. I uh, obviously have the ninety-one, the one eleven. I've had the eighteen sixteen. Uh, they're they're all three are outstanding, and I've I've even had your one of your single barrels. Can't remember which one because I know there's a couple. There's a variety. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I also had your your scotch scotch cask strength scotch or cask. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah i had that actually that was probably the last one i drank before i left ten, uh, tennessee last time uh, what other regular production options 
can folks find in your uh, in your distribution states? Yeah, so our shelf set in distribution looks like 91, which is at a 30 plus dollar price point. Phenomenal price point, by the way. I mean, I, I, I could do a blind tasting with anybody who drinks whiskey and bourbon and say, here's this, and then here's something that's up and over, tips the scales a little over 100 bucks. And the 91 can can surpass anything that I, I toss at a, at a blind taste. I Just well, great first, stuff. Thank you. Second, you said it. We're, we're, value is key to our business model and it's key to our philosophy and our mission. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that the majority of craft distilleries that are putting as much, if they were putting as much into their bourbon production as we were, there's no way they'd be coming out at a 30 dollar price point no way so but uh, we're all about whiskey to the people that's one of our mottos so then you got so you got 91 at 30 plus dollars and then you got 111 at mid 40 you know mid 40s upper 50 i mean upper 40s and that is also a great value when you think about cask forward absolutely yeah um then you've got 99 Rye, which won Whiskey Advocate in 2020, uh, or is in the top 20 of Whiskey Advocate in 2020, which was really cool accolade. That's a malted rye. And then you've got, uh, and that's at a low 40s price point. Then you've got um, um, Bottled and Bond, which is at a $50 price point. That's a blend of four different recipes. And then you've got Barrel Finishing Series, which is... Each, so annually is a different barrel finish and a different blend of recipes that goes into those different barrels. That's at a $50-ish price point. Uh, And then you got single barrel, and then you got founders. So, you know, a lineup of five, six uh, that you'll typically see on the shelf. Yeah. I mean, I I have a... a, a a pretty not a, it's not a, a thick line in the sand, but it's a line in the sand nonetheless. Where if I walk into a like up here, our our mass bottled place is Benny's. It's like a forty six location all over the Chicagoland area. And when I walk down the whiskey aisle, it's I mean it's if it's over a hundred bucks, it's got to like knock my socks off. And even that, I've had phenomenal whiskey. You know, like I said, the fifty or under range, which yeah. is it, it can hold hold its own weight compared to some of those expensive bottles, and, and same thing with cigars. You know, any cigar over twenty bucks, I'm like, uh, I don't really. It, it's got to be something, got to be a special occasion or something yeah. that I've never had before and can't find it anymore. One of those type of things. So, I mean, to yeah. have a price range of like the fifty ish and under, you know, thirty bucks ish. You're, that that's just that's up my alley for sure, but uh, uh, and I'm sure for most people as well. And uh, I can get I can like I said I can guarantee. And I even heard a rumor where 91 when 91 was still being aged, it wasn't quite there yet. But you 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 kept tasting it, kept tasting it, and you finally tasted it. It was like 19 months later or so, and uh, you were like, "Well, man, I, all right." I got to start doing some blind tastings, and uh, Grant wanted nothing right. to do with it. Where, where are you getting your information from? Because I feel <laughs> like you have some kind of inside source that I don't know about. What is, what is this inside source that you have? 
I'm dude. I'm just a, a dude up in the Chicago. I, I I don't know anybody uh, that you're related to, or you know. I just kind of. It's Chicago. I, yeah. Well, I don't know. I think that you enjoy research because you, I feel like you've done a lot of research. I mean, that's not even something I put out there. So I seriously am curious about where you heard that because it's true. I was <laughs> I was going back into the barrel house and trying our product over and over and over again. And Grant didn't even want me to do it. He's like, dude, stop trying the product. I'm like, no, you cannot. I, I must taste the progress. So it was like one month, three months, six months, 12 months. And, and it's just like, nope, 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 of course, because it's not even a year old, right? And then he's like, I don't know, man. I think this is going to be like four or five years when it was like, not even a year old. Like it's got so much time to go. I'm like, yeah, man, but I don't know the white dog, the base. It's just so good. Like, and it's, so I try it 12 months, 14 months, 16 months. And then it hit 19 months. Like, I think it was right at 19 months. And I had a holy shit moment. <laughs> I really did. It was, it, I couldn't believe it. I was like, dude, this thing has turned. It turned into something so beautiful that I started blind tasting people on 19-month Chattanooga whiskey at 91, or, or 91 uh, recipe, at barrel strength. And I was going to James Beard chefs and saying, tell me how old this product is. And they were saying, I don't know, somewhere between eight and 10 years old. <laughs> I was like, it's 19 months old. And they were, it was blowing them away. And like that's just, it just learned how to walk, you know, like it's it, still it a baby. How to walk. Yeah. But you thought that they were winning the Olympics. And so, <laughs> uh, and, and so that's when I knew that's when I was like, you know what, man, we are not waiting around for this. We're not waiting for three, four, five, six years. We're not going to do it. It's yeah. that good. It's got to go. Uh, and we, so we released it at, uh, you know, two and a half years. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, but that like, just that's case in point, you know, blind well, tasting, think, you could blind taste the 91 with anybody and they're, they're just going to be like, wow, what is that? Yeah. Especially, even at night, even at 19 months. Well, especially barrel strength too. I mean, I think that's now, you know, cask is cask forward. It's 111 proof. We barrel uh, we barrel fill at 115, so we don't say cast strength because of that. Yeah. But, but you know, when you have our product at closer to barrel strength, um, you, you get it. So here's a time where I, I'm going to ask you to pick your favorite child and not the ones that are running around the house, but the, the, what is your, your go-to, what is your, your favorite creation thus far? I'll tell you a funny story. Um, last night, I was putting my kids to bed. And um, they actually, so they, they have, they have uh, bunk beds in, their, in the playroom, and, and that's, they like to sleep together in the bunk beds most nights, which is awesome that they're so close. So I'm laying in the bunk beds with both of them because I couldn't have the conversation with them if they were in their separate rooms. And, uh, and my younger one said, Dad, we know you have a favorite. Which, which of us do you like better? And I, I said, you know what? I said, uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Her name, my younger one's Pippa. I said, I'm not going to lie to you, Pippa. 
I said, sometimes I like you better, and sometimes I like your sister better. <laughs> Fair I answer. Said, I, Fair said, answer. But I, I said, but I always love you both. But sometimes I like you better, and sometimes I like your sister better. And that is, dude, that is honestly uh, my feeling for everything that our distillers make. I mean, there are occasions where I'm a 111 guy, and there are occasions where I'm a Scotch cast guy. I mean, there are people that will will swear by Scotch cask being the best thing they've ever had in their lives, and and then at in the same conversation, there's people next to them that are they're swearing that Scotch cask is the worst thing that they've ever had, and 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 of course because Scotch cask is, I mean, well, it was. It was aged in Kill Dalton barrels. I mean, Ardbeg, Lafroig, Lagavulin. I mean, there are people that hate Lafroig with a passion, and uh, and Lafroig even knows that. And so, <laughs> I mean, so it just depends. But but for me, the what are you looking for? What what are you looking for in a bourbon? A lot of people are looking for caramel. A lot of people are looking for honey. A lot of people are looking for oak. Um, for me, there's so many different experiences and flavor profiles that I guess I enjoy within drinking bourbon that it could be the smokiest damn thing. It could be like straight, you know, iodine, or it could be like, you know, straight from the sea, or it could be, you know, uh, straight out of, you know, like a bag of candy corn and... And all of these things, I, I guess I just I really think about the fact that this that this that shit has been handcrafted from yeah. the earth straight yeah. to this this packaging. It's just a really, really cool process that has gone through and I'm and I'm and unless there's like heavy phenolic notes or something, you know, phenolic notes are obviously not very welcome. It's very it's kind of like almost like plastic. Uh, there's definitely some off-putting notes that I don't care for. Sharpie notes. There's like I get like a lot of sharpie out of short, hot, fermented products, uh, like that I don't care for um, because of that. But if I don't get some like off-putting notes, I'm diving all in and I and I enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, speaking of creations. Can you let us in on any upcoming projects, special releases, anything new additions that you can kind of let us in on? Any secrets going come, uh, coming out? Yeah, we got lots. Nice. We got uh, we got lots. We got our barrel finishing series. Every year is going to be a new barrel finishing series. Uh, we once upon a time used Kill Dalton cast, which I just mentioned. Uh, we may or may not be reusing those again. Uh, we've we once upon a time used Tawny Port. We may or may not be revisiting some uh, some really cool wine casks um, we've, uh, that are beyond Tawny, not not just Port, not you know, not just Tawny Port, other stuff. Um, Barrel finishing series is an adventure. Uh, so each year, uh, I invite you to be a part of that adventure with us. Yeah. Um, We've got um, uh, Founders. Uh, last year, it was 91 Solera Barrel, the 1816 Barrel, and then a blend of different hardwood smoke malts. Uh, 
uh, or I say last year, it was actually this year. It was in, it was in the spring. Uh, but next year we have three barrels that are going to be blended together. We got the infinity barrel that has 40 different barrels in it with, with 10 different recipes in it. Um, all malt whiskey. All of them are malt whiskey. I mean, that's that's going to be a part of Founders. Man, we're always pushing the envelope. I, it's it's constant. I, I there's a lot of things that I will say that like I tip my hat to the the industry, the history of bourbon uh, that I really appreciate, and people are doing really good traditional bourbons. But when it comes to innovation, I don't know. I think we're number one. I mean, you have an experimental distillery, like, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's all we do. Yeah. Yeah. Segwaying into the future. Yeah. Uh, where would you like to see Chattanooga in, let's say 10 years? More of what we're doing right now. Yeah. More, more distribution states just kind of growing like that. Yeah. I'm not, this is not a, uh, that's such a cliche saying. This is a marathon. You know, it's not a sprint. But, I mean, but 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 honestly, but think about bourbon, right? American yep. whiskey, bourbon, Scotch, uh, Irish whiskey. I mean, it's a it is a marathon, man. It's a freaking marathon. It is not a sprint. And so for me, I don't have. I'm I'm not a serial entrepreneur, man. I'm not trying to be all things to all people. I'm not trying to create like the best of everything you can possibly have. I'm trying to make a great spirit and uh, incrementally grow it. So that's what we're doing. This 111 and this cigar, the 91 was you know, both unique in their own way. But the 111, I feel, uh, pairs really well with this cigar, by the way. I don't just letting you know, uh, I'm I'm sitting here sipping. I'm like, oh wow, because that has that that. I wouldn't even say heat. It's a, a warming, if you would, yeah. to it. That kind of takes it away and, and kind of gives back and forth a little bit, it, it, which is really fun. That's awesome. um, lastly, I got one more question. Uh, let's talk about the Chattanooga Mule, which, by the way, uh, great commercial on your website. Uh, I, I I watched it a couple times. I, a I want to kind of know how many takes did that take, but uh, also uh, tell <laughs> tell the listeners about the Chattanooga Mule and kind of like what that is and how they can make one. <clears throat> well, um, I mean, you know, you're uh, you're 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 asking the wrong guy to make any cocktail. First of all, <laughs> I don't know how to make anything outside of. Uh, help our distillers make great product. So, um, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, but that, <laughs> that shoot was rowdy. That was, a rowdy that, that was a rowdy shoot, man. I can tell you that. We, where did so, that, so, where, well, where, first, well, first of all, my, so my, I, when it comes to the summertime cocktail, like Chattanooga is hot. We're in the Southeast. It's 90, degrees. I enjoy uh, water, hanging out on the water down here um, on the Tennessee River. And mm -hmm. the Chattanooga Mule or a whiskey ginger um, is kind of the perfect cocktail for me. Um, it's, it is, uh, it, it, it allows the bourbon to speak through 
the cocktail. So um, I'm a huge fan of, you know, obviously the Chattanooga Mule, like go get bourbon and go get your favorite ginger beer, right? I mean, like it's it's just using it's just using uh, ginger, you know, a great ginger beer, um, or or if you just want, you know, ginger ale, obviously it's just a whiskey ginger, but uh, but it's pretty simple. I like to throw a lime in in it as well. Um, I like, I mean, I can, I'll garnish a, a straight, I'll garnish a straight pour with a lime. Like I really enjoy a little bit of lime and and. And all, you know, all my drinks, but, um, but we kind of had this like idea of, well, <clears throat> we've got a trophy truck. I mean, we sponsor a trophy truck that's racing in all these races. He's it's, it's in the desert. It's, yeah. Where was, where would that commercial take place? That was in print. That was in Prem, uh, which is, you know, basically, basically, um, Las Vegas. Okay. Right? It's 20 miles outside of Las Vegas. And so it's hot as hell. You want to drink a bourbon on the rocks or you want to have a refreshing cocktail. A mule is a beautifully refreshing cocktail uh, for bourbon. And you're in the desert. So what better place to, uh, to say, you know, a Chattanooga mule. And then if you're actually going to shake things up, what better way to shake things up than actually putting a shaker on a trophy truck that's going through the <laughs> desert. To me, that says the ultimate summer cocktail. <clears throat> you're in the desert, you're shaking it up on a trophy truck, you're drinking a mule. Like, I mean, so some people are like, oh, why is Chevy whiskey in, in the desert in, in out West? Like, because it's, because it's make, hot. And it we're, makes sense. And we're, it's hot and we're shaking things up. Like stop trying to make sense of it. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, man. So we did that. And then, uh, honestly, it didn't take a lot of, there, there, you know, there were not a lot of takes. It was, it was, uh, just, I mean, we had like different parts of the course that we shot on. And then there was the final part, which was me and a tux doing kind of like a James Bond type, uh, shot, which is, you know, um, I prefer, I prefer my, uh, my mule, you know, shaken, not stirred. <laughs> and uh and and then the the truck was just circling around me but i'm not going to lie it was scary and oh uh, yeah and my and my suit got really messed up um <laughs> and when i took it to the dry cleaners i think they all <laughs> thought that i was insane so uh i was awesome i literally walked back into our hotel uh, we stayed at the mandalay bay and i walked into the mandalay bay with that suit on after that and when you're in Vegas and you're like, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, and you're looking around at everybody doing probably way worse stuff than I was doing, everybody's looking at me like, what in the hell did that guy get yeah. into in Las Vegas? And because uh, I was walking around with a with a uh, with a suit that was completely covered in yeah like i want to party with that guy he's yeah. wearing a tux it's covered in dust i think i think they were like i want nothing to do with that guy <laughs> so, yeah it was awesome man it's a lot of fun yeah so um robert johnston he's one of my partners he is uh he's a trophy truck driver and he's hugely passionate about chattanooga whiskey and he just gives us the op the, the opportunity to sponsor his uh, truck so a lot of fun 
Yeah, no, I, I saw the commercial and it was just, I laughed. I, I have watched it over a couple times. I'm like, that's, that's pretty, pretty badass. I think you would have laughed harder if you were actually out there watching him do donuts around me and, <laughs> and me disappear. And all the people that were standing there outside, they, they were waiting for the dust to rise to, to determine whether or not I was alive or dead. So <laughs> it was, it was fun. Good times. Uh, well, everyone out there who's listening, uh, to, to learn about the history, the production process, and what makes Chattanooga Whiskey Experimental Distillery uh, the only distillery uh, of its kind, really, in the country, go visit them. Uh, I highly suggest it. I, I'm going to myself. Um, the tour is approximately about, about an hour long. Uh, and I read on the website, it's about uh, like fourteen fifty a person or so. Uh, at the end of the tour, guests can uh, sample the award-winning, one-of-a-kind whiskey flight. And uh, check out their full line, uh, book a reservation ahead of time, uh, even watch that commercial. Go to ChattanoogaWhiskey.com. And if you would like to host a party, an event, or even surprise me for my next birthday party, check out their beautiful 4,000-foot event hall located at their riverfront riverfront distillery location uh you can visit that at uh, chatwhiskeyeventhall.com that's chat with two t's uh and for all of you looking for them on social media facebook chattanooga whiskey one word uh instagram uh, at chat whiskey the same thing for twitter and youtube hey uh fun fact about chattanooga i'm sure you know i thought it was fascinating chattanooga was the first had the first patented a uh, mini golf course created uh, in 1927. Uh, that was by the, the the Rock City Gardens founder uh, Garnett Carter. Uh, so Tom Thumb Tom Thumb Golf on Lookout Mountain was originally intended to attract traffic to Carter's hotel. But I was like, wow, that's that's where mini golf started. That's, that's phenomenal. Fun fact. Yeah, we got lots of hidden gems. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a beautiful place too. Like I said, I, I go down there a lot. I go there. Probably twice a year. Um, and like I said, the Chickamauga River area, the the, yeah. the Udawa area. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, great folks, check them out. Um, as I'm about to take my my band off of my cigar and burn through the last third, it tells me that this episode is down to a nub. Uh, <laughs> Tim, dude, thanks for joining. Thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Uh, it was it was fun. Uh, I like chatting, and uh, maybe when I get down there around the Christmas time area, I think I'll be there. Maybe we'll we'll meet up and please come and hang out, man. I'd love to love to host you and show you around. Cool. No, I appreciate it, and uh, I will definitely be be checking you out. It, it's uh, I, I can't believe I haven't been there already. Really. Um, well, folks, until we uh, the next time we put smoke in the air and raise a glass, stay safe, stay smoky, and uh, folks, stay classy. Uh, We'll see you next time here at the Cigar Social Podcast. Mm-hmm.